0: Welcome back to Buried Motives.
1: Happy Easter. We're happy that you've joined us. Absolutely. Do you have an Easter case for us today? I do have an Easter case for us today.
0: But before we do that, we want to give you a reminder to enter the contest if you haven't already done so. There's only a few days left.
1: Yeah, we have our Easter giveaway. We have a really cool Tumblr that Danielle from Danny Makes It on Etsy has made for us.
0: And Mm -hmm. we're super excited to give that away.
1: So if you haven't checked that out yet, you still have a couple of days left, so go on and do that. Get on it.
0: Check us out on Facebook or Instagram to learn all the details of how to enter.
1: And good luck. We'll be mailing that to one of our lucky listeners.
0: We should talk about our Easter case.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. I'm not sure if I am familiar with this case yet.
0: It is a more well-known case, so I thought that you might know it.
1: Maybe when you start with the details. Melissa and I don't tell each other a lot about our cases. We just give each other the name of who we're doing. And the name is not ringing familiar for
0: me. It is one that I've heard before, so I'd be very surprised if you haven't heard this one. But it's been a while since I covered a family annihilation, and when tasked to find an Easter case, this was a natural choice for me. And they are my favorite. So this is maybe why I know this one and you don't. Oh, possibly. But how many times can you be found guilty for the same crime? Once. The murderer that we're going to cover today is found guilty three different times for the same crime. What? What? There's no
1: double jeopardy from where he lives? No,
0: He's just keeps getting retrial after retrial after retrial.
1: Could you imagine if you had to pay the price three times for every mistake you ever made? Oh,
0: it's brutal.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this is a little bit of an interesting one. I'm really curious.
0: James Urban Jimmy Rupert was born in 1934. There are a lot that report his birthday as March 29th, but the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation has listed it as April 12, 1934. So either way, he was born in 1934. I'm just not sure which date it was.
1: Well, I'm wondering, my grandma was born in 1921 and she had two birth dates because often back in that time, you would give birth to the baby at home and then it would take you a few weeks or a month to get into town to register that birth. And so the register date was when their legal birthday would be. So for my grandma, it wasn't until she went to retire and applied for her birth certificate she found out that her legal birthday was in October, but growing up, she had always celebrated her birthday in
0: September. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's just a faux pas in the paperwork.
1: It could be. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure with this case, but I know for my grandma.
0: That's what happened. Yeah.
1: And it was a few years before this, but maybe it was still happening around that time.
0: So he was born to Leonard and Charity Rupert. And at his birth, he was a huge disappointment to his mother. Oh. She already had a son and she had hoped for a girl.
1: That's exactly in my case.
0: (laughs) Oh, Really? Isn't it so funny how we always get on the same wavelength with cases? But there usually is some weird motherly relationships that go on between, especially male murderers. For sure. But Charity, known as Billy to her neighbors, made no secret about her displeasure with James or Jimmy's birth. She would frequently tell him that he was a mistake. So much for Charity. Yeah, no kidding. How is that ever nice to do to your child? No. Constantly telling them that they're a mistake? That's in the rule book of how to raise a murderer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Express your
1: disappointment.
0: (laughs) Step one. Before they even have a chance to disappoint you, right? Right. This is right from the get-go. He hadn't even done anything yet. Aw. And she was already disappointed with him. There are some claims that Charity would go as far to dress James up as the girl that he was supposed to be. Wow.
1: Which can seem harmless, but...
0: Well, especially in today's world, right? It's not such a big deal. But we're talking 1934. Yeah. That is a huge deal back then. Right. And his dad wasn't much better. Leonard Sr. had a violent temper. And when he wasn't being physically abusive, he was outright cold towards both of his sons. He would tell James things like, you're worthless and you'll never be able to hold down a job.
1: Yeah, not really great parental support here.
0: No, not a lot. As a small child, James lived in a long barn-like structure with his immediate family, which lacked indoor plumbing and running water, which again, remember it's 1934, so not a huge shocker, but definitely not the most affluential family. His father raised chickens and squabs in the rear of their house, and it was believed that this close proximity to the birds aggravated James' severe asthma.
1: They were inside the house? Mm -hmm. Like not even outside somewhere?
0: No, because they lived in this barn-like structure. So they kind of sectioned off the back portion of the house to be where they kept their chickens and squabs. Wow. Because of his asthma, James had difficulty keeping up with other children, and it, along with spinal meningitis, might have been the reason for his stunted growth. Oh, I
1: could see that for Mm -hmm. sure. And can you imagine what a mess... Like Melissa has chickens. Can you
0: imagine having those inside your home? No. (laughs) They make such a mess. Occasionally we've had to bring one in that's been like sick and needs special care. And it's awful. Yeah. And that's just one. I couldn't imagine actually keeping chickens inside your house. Yeah. And domestic pigeons. (laughs) No. Yeah. Oh, no. No way. No birds. (laughs) Birds still kind of freak me out a little bit. Do they? they fly at my head? Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, you have chickens and ducks on your property. I know. Chickens are okay, though. They don't (laughs) fly very much. They just jump. True. But pigeons could actually fly at your head. Yeah. Maybe they clip their wings. I don't know. I wouldn't want them in my house either way. No. (laughs) When James was 12, his father passed away from tuberculosis, leaving James's older brother, who was 14 at the time, to be the head of the household. Leonard Jr., or Pinky, as he was known to friends, had learned well from his father's abusive ways. Leonard was physically and verbally abusive towards James. He would tie him up and lock him in closets and sit on his head.
1: (gasps) That's terrible. Well, is it really? Tying him up and locking him in closets? (laughs) I don't
0: remember my brother ever doing that to me. Yeah, the tying up and locking them in closets. But I was thinking that all of these accounts are actually James's accounts. So we only ever get to hear one side of the story because of the crimes he later commits right and from james's accounts his brother was incessantly picking on him and was a torturer of sorts what he describes though to me sounds like kind of like boyish antics taken to the extreme i have two boys and my older one regularly sits on my younger one's head I'm constantly (laughs) yelling at them to be like,
1: get off your brother. For sure. And they both would have very different stories as to what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I'm just picking on him. But this one was like, it sounds like he might have taken it over the top. Right. But by any other accounts, like neighbor's accounts or anything like that, his older brother didn't seem like such a dirtbag as James portrayed him to be.
1: Okay, Maybe just trying to cast blame.
0: That's right. And maybe it's just our house that this is a common occurrence and... (laughs) Maybe everybody else's houses are normal. Melissa's going to get a lot of messages in the That's next right. couple of weeks. How do you take care of bullying amongst brothers?
1: There's probably a podcast on that.
0: <laughs> but neighbors and acquaintances of both Charity and Leonard didn't really have anything bad to say about them. They did acknowledge that James was the quiet one of the family. Hmm. But like we've said before, ultimately, it's James's viewpoint that matters. Whatever the truth actually might be. It's that how he true. viewed the world.
1: Yeah, because that becomes his reality. Mm-hmm. If he felt like he was tortured, then he grew up tortured.
0: Yeah. According to him, his school setting didn't afford much of an escape for the tiny teen. He was either teased for his small size or was generally ignored by everybody at the school. Unlike his older brother, who was an athlete and very popular, James was described as being unremarkable or even a sissy. Again, we have another parallel here
1: <laughs> in next week's case.
0: <laughs> With his five foot six frame, And being only 135 pounds, he wasn't popular at school or considered athletic in any way. He lived in the shadow of his older brother constantly. Teachers would even compare his schoolwork to that of his brothers and would often make comments about his being of lesser quality. Oh, I hate when people do that. Mm -hmm.
1: You don't compare. Let them each be their own individual.
0: It's true. Siblings can vary a lot. They can be really different from each other. Right. The abuse at home and teasing at school would continue until James ran away at the age of 16 and tried to commit suicide. Maybe the abuse was pretty bad. Yeah, if it's driving him to want to take his own life, then it's getting pretty serious. His attempt to hang himself with bedsheets failed, and he was forced to return home. When his brother received a degree as an electrical engineer, James failed out of his college drafting course after just two years. It seemed that failure would be a theme in James's life. So anything that he would attempt, he failed that. It didn't seem like intelligence was the issue. People who knew him believed him to be smart, but he was very much a loner and did not fit in easily. Neighbors described him as a quiet kind of guy, small and diminutive in size. His brother's superiority in his mind was further cemented when James's ex-girlfriend, allegedly one of his only girlfriends, Alma, chose to marry Leonard instead of him (gasps) after he introduced the two of them. No. Yep.
1: That's rough. (laughs) So rough. That is bad. Girlfriends should be off limits between brothers. I'm just saying.
0: But when there's love, there's love, right? I suppose. (laughs) Do you think his brother would have done it on purpose? Maybe as
1: a girlfriend, but to marry, there had to have been something there. I don't think you marry someone just to spite your little (laughs) brother.
0: (laughs) Well, and it doesn't seem like Leonard was concerned at all with his little brother. He had the good marks. He had the brains and the smarts. He was popular and athletic.
1: Right. And if this girl liked James, and then to meet his brother would be like, Ooh, James 2.0. That's what <laughs> <right. it> up.
0: <laughs> He's a whole six inches taller. Ooh. <laughs> adult life was not any easier for James. As an adult, his maladaptive coping mechanisms led to failure after failure. While neighbors would describe him as a loner, intelligent, and an avid reader, he was talented but still had trouble holding down a steady job, just like his father had predicted. Aw, it's a Mm -hmm. self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what I kind of thought.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real thing. If Uh you're always told that you're dumb and you're worthless and you're not going to amount to anything as a child, there's a good chance you are not going to amount to anything when you grow up.
0: It would be so hard.
1: Yeah, because you would start to believe those things. Mm -hmm. I think what we say to our children as parents becomes their internal voice when they're little.
0: I think so, too. In 1965, James's mental health problems were becoming more severe. As a teen, he had suffered from severe depression, but now in his 30s, he started to develop paranoia. He believed that his mom, his brother, and the FBI were out to get him. His belief in this took hold strongly after the Hamilton Police Department followed up on prank calls that James was making to an employee at the local library. Oh, he was a little bit of an odd duck. Yeah, why was he pranking someone at the library? That's an odd thing to do. He used to hang out there a lot, and so he thought this was a an okay way to interact with this employee.
1: Right, because right, he's an avid reader
0: and he is socially awkward. So I wonder if this was just his way of trying to get their attention I was just and to develop ask. a friendship. I was just going to ask, was it a girl? He never really says it was a girl. I think it was his way of trying to get a person's attention to develop a friendship.
1: Right. Or have some interaction, at least.
0: (laughs) James' paranoia grew, and he started to believe that his mom and his brother and several other groups were trying to wreck his reputation by spreading lies to the FBI that he was a homosexual communist. Wow. At the time, to James, these were the two biggest insults.
1: Well, unfortunately, at that time, same-sex attraction was not accepted.
0: Not at all. And this is during the Cold War. So being a communist was like just the ultimate insult. Right. This is what he believed that people were spreading about him. And so he began to believe that because they were spreading these rumors, this is why he could never get a job, he couldn't succeed in life, because everybody thought these things of him.
1: He thought the whole world was out to get him.
0: Mm-hmm. He believed that the FBI were out to sabotage his career, his social life, and even his Volkswagen.
1: Oh, why is he- FBI going to try and sabotage his Volkswagen?
0: Well, I think it just goes to show you just how paranoid he was. Like, it's one thing to believe that, hey, my mom and my brother don't think highly of me and they're spreading rumors. But now he thinks that the actual FBI is out to get him. And he thinks that because they knew about these prank calls that he was making. But really, the employee at the library just recognized his voice and was able to tell the police, this
1: is who this is. So he's starting to spiral a little here, it sounds like.
0: Absolutely. His paranoia would escalate over the coming years to the point where he felt that his home phone, as well as all the phones in restaurants and bars that he frequented, were tapped to gain intelligence on him.
1: And this is pre-cell phone time. Mm -hmm. This is just the ones on your wall.
0: That's right. He thinks that any restaurant that he goes to, that the FBI have now tapped that restaurant's phone. I don't know how often you'd be using our phone at the restaurant.
1: Yeah. But you can imagine if you really believed this, how scary life would
0: start to feel. Oh, it would be terrifying. Oftentimes we see people coming in that are in a paranoid delusional state and it is so sad to see how scared they are Mm -hmm. because the threat to them is a reality. Yeah. But James believed that all of these plots were to make sure that he couldn't keep a job and resulted in him constantly experiencing bad luck. He believed that private detectives and local law enforcement were following him at all times. And it looks like James received a small amount of psychological support for his paranoia, but it was pretty short-lived and it was not very effective at all.
1: That's unfortunate because I know we've talked about this before, but had they gotten some help in their early formative years, perhaps we would be talking about them on our podcast today.
0: There were several people that James blamed for all of his failures in life and his current surveillance, but the two at the top of the list were his mom and his brother Leonard. And you know who wasn't on the list for all of James's problems? James? Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) We all know people like that too.
0: Sometimes when you are struggling with mental illness, it's hard to recognize that your decisions are leading to consequences. That is true. By 1975, Leonard had eight children and a steady dependable job at General Electric. He lived in Fairfield in a big home with his beautiful family. James, on the other hand, had lost all of his money in a stock market crash the year before. James was now reliant on his mother and brother for frequent loans because he wasn't able to hold down a job of his own as a draftsman. His constant drinking made him an unreliable employee. Yeah, that's pretty rough. It's a big contrast between the brothers. Yeah. Because of his financial situation, James had moved back in with his mom in Hamilton in Southwest Ohio. Hamilton at the time was a middle class community of about 65,000 people about 30 minutes outside of Cincinnati. Charity was still not shy about her attitude that James was a waste of space. Oh, that's terrible. Is it terrible? Here's this guy that can't get his life together. He's 40, still living at home, drinks all the time, and then wonders why he can't hold down a job and blames everybody else. When's he going to take some self-responsibility?
1: Well, he does need to, but this is a mom who has put him down since day one. She's never tried to help him to make something of himself, it sounds like. By James's account. By James's account, true.
0: I tend to give moms the The benefit benefit of of the the doubt. doubt.
1: For sure. Us moms got to stick together. (laughs) But no, I agree. If I did have a 40-year-old behaving in that way, I would probably... I don't think I would say that they were a waste of space. No, But I would not be happy with their progress in life.
0: It sounds like she spoke very harshly to him a lot, but maybe some of her sentiments would be ones that we would share.
1: Right. I'm just saying sometimes kindness can go a long way.
0: Instead of a kick when you're already down.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: James's depression and drinking heightened in February 1975. His mom was threatening to evict him, saying that if he could afford to drink seven days a week, he could afford to pay rent.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I do believe in tough love that way.
0: And a little bit of tough love for a 40-year-old still living at home is not really unrealistic at the time. No. I find it always interesting because we always start out our stories and we're like, oh, poor James. Poor guy. And then we're like, "Mm, he's kind of turning into a little bit of a dirtbag here. Yeah.
1: It is hard to separate the two because we do often feel sorry for them with their horrific childhoods. But then they do turn into these horrible monsters
0: and we don't feel sorry for them anymore. (laughs) At some point, they have to make their own decisions, right? that affect their own lives and not blame everybody else. And it seems like this is a main lesson that James hadn't learned. Everything was just always somebody else's fault. Right. And so, yes, he suffered from mental illnesses, but he still had that mentality to blame everything else on everybody else and never took any personal responsibility for himself. And it just seemed to continue to snowball with his paranoia.
1: That makes sense.
0: So this upcoming eviction added an increase of stress, and his behavior became even more odd and withdrawn. James had always been a gun enthusiast from an early age, but the pastime was becoming an obsession now. He would spend hours shooting at targets and often walking along the river to make tin cans walk out in front of him by shooting the can to watch it lurch ahead. Hmm. So he would just repeatedly shoot the same can and watch it jump ahead. Right. Another plausible explanation for his increasing gun collection was his increasing paranoia and the feeling that he had to protect himself from those that were trying to ruin his life. Just a month before the shootings, a local gun store clerk reported that James had inquired about silencers for his guns. Ooh, that's scary. It does sound scary, but silencers at the time were often used by gun enthusiasts to protect their hearing. That makes sense then. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm just saying it's scary because we know.
0: Exactly. We know where
1: the story's going. Even though I don't know the details yet, I know what's going to be happening. That's right.
0: It's a family annihilation. <laughs> that's right. There's something coming. But I think at the time, that's why it never raised any eyebrows to anybody. Like, sure, he was a little odd. He was depressed. He was drinking a lot. He was this gun enthusiast that had reason to hate his brother and his mother. Right. But it didn't stick out to anybody that he was looking for silencers. It was common at the time for people to buy silencers to protect their hearing if they were an avid gun shooter, yeah. and which he was. But a silencer can also be used. If you want to kill your whole family and don't want the neighbors to hear. And just because it wasn't in any of the reports that there were specifically silencers on the guns, that doesn't mean that there wasn't. Because as we go through this crime, you'll hear that no neighbors heard anything. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. On March 28th, after spending the day shooting along the Great Miami River in Hamilton, he went out to the bar drinking because he has those two potential birthdays. This could potentially be on his birthday that he's going out drinking and celebrating. While at the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge, he spoke with an employee, Wanda Bishop, about his problems, and after briefly leaving the bar around 11 p.m., he spoke to her again a while later about these same problems and told her that he wasn't able to fix them yet.
1: Dun, dun, dun. That's right.
0: That night, he would stay at the bar until closing at 2.30 a.m. The next day, Easter Sunday, while he slept off his hangover, Leonard and Alma and their eight children gathered at Grandma's house to take part in the holiday festivities. Sometime after 4 p.m., James awoke and came downstairs to find his brother and Alma talking at the kitchen table with his mom. All of the children, aged 4 to 17, were outside searching for Easter eggs that were hidden in the yard. When the children came back inside after completing their Easter egg hunt, charity began to make sloppy Joes for supper. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Not your traditional Easter meal. No turkey at this house. Yeah.
1: Hey, you do whatever works for you.
0: It sounded like they had already eaten at Elma's parents earlier in the day. They had had a brunch there. Okay. And so they had had their traditional big meal then. And then they had come to Charity's house and she was just feeding them what kids like. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, they were doing their own thing. The children settled into the larger living room while the adults stayed in the kitchen. With little ones coming in frequently to interrupt the adult conversation and show off their newly found eggs to their mother. Aw. So just regular holiday dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. While the commotion of the meal making was going on, James slipped back upstairs and retrieved a 357 Magnum, an 18-shot rifle, and two .22 caliber Saturday night special handguns that he had previously loaded.
1: Oh, no. This is terrible because we know what's going to happen. hmm And that's a lot of guns.
0: Casually, he enters the kitchen again, he props up his rifle against the fridge, And according to James' account, he said that he was heading out to do some target practices when his brother asked him in a mocking way, How's your Volkswagen, Jimmy? This was the triggering question that would start a massacre. James had long believed that Leonard was trying to sabotage his car because he had had a series of things go wrong with it. From a broken crankshaft and a carburetor to a faulty distributor cap, holes in the muffler, and even broken wiper blades and a (laughs) loosened bumper... James believed that his brother had arranged it all so that he would have trouble getting around and therefore had to be more reliant on his older brother and his mom.
1: Oh my goodness. So he's not thinking rationally right now, obviously. But you can see in his mind, if he's believing his brother's doing those things, to then have his brother ask him about the Volkswagen, it's like adding some salt in his wound.
0: Just grinding it in there, right? It never occurred to James at all that he had had just a run of bad luck with his vehicle. Or that he was driving around a lemon of a car. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Sometimes you just get a lemon and sometimes you get a Volkswagen. (laughs) (laughs) So in what is described as a reflexive reaction by James to all the pent up rage he felt, James shot his lifetime rival, his brother, in the head. (gasps) Next, he shot Alma, his love interest from all those years before, who had chosen his brother over him.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: When his mother tried to intervene and protect her grandchildren that were running towards their parents, he shot her as well. She had never wanted him anyway. Next, he turned the gun on all of the children that had come into the kitchen. No. Mm-hmm. Carol, 13, David, 11, and Teresa, 9 were all shot dead. <gasps> Carol had made it as far as the back kitchen door, but only got it open a couple of inches before being shot. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. But he didn't stop there. He then entered the living room and shot John, the youngest, of his nieces and nephews. He would be found with a half-unwrapped purple chocolate Easter egg in his hand. Thomas, 15, Michael, 16, and Leonard III, at age 17, were the next victims in the living room. Leonard III was found by the doorway with three bullet wounds. James's last victim was his 12-year-old niece, Anne.
1: I was not prepared for this. (laughs) That was just like so quick. He just comes down one comment. There wasn't even a fight that ensued. Yeah, I was not ready to hear all this. And I was hoping when you started talking about it, please don't let the eight children have been
0: shot. The 11 murders took less than five minutes to complete. Yeah. He was extremely efficient. James had used the strategy of fire one shot to immobilize his terrified family members and then fired a second or even a third shot later to make sure that they were dead. In total, he had fired 35 shots. And with the exception of an overtoned rice paper basket, the house showed no signs of any struggle.
1: Well, no one was expecting it. No. How terrible. They're getting ready for their sloppy joes. The kids have just got their chocolates. That is just heartbreaking. Like mm-hmm. that little four-year-old having that little chocolate
0: still in his hand. It was out of nowhere. They oh, were man. not expecting it.
1: Maybe I'm staying home for Easter <laughs> this year.
0: <laughs> Leonard just thought he was asking like, Being friendly, how's your Volkswagen? Oh, that is so terrifying. Mm -hmm. James sat on the couch amongst the bodies of his entire family in silence for over three hours until he made the call to the police at 9.41 that evening to tell them calmly that there had been a shooting and that there were bodies at the house. Then he waited by the front door to let the police in.
1: I am so shocked actually that he called the police because he is one to not take responsibility. So that's so out of character for him to call the police on himself.
0: Well, just wait and see if you still think he tries to take responsibility.
1: Oh, he comes up with a story?
0: Mm -hmm. The police arrived at 635 Minor Ave in Hamilton to discover a horrific scene of bodies strewn about the kitchen and living room exactly where they had fallen when James had shot them. Police, when greeted at the front door by James, could see two of the bodies behind him already. Butler County Prosecutor John Holcomb walked through the scene And said that there was so much blood that walking in the basement resulted in blood dripping on you from the floorboards (gasps) above. No. Well, there's 11 people's blood all over that floor within close proximity. And it had been left to soak there through for three hours.
1: That is so gruesome. And they all have multiple gunshots, you said.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Chesterhead.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. The floorboards were reported to still be stained when the new owner of the house was interviewed in 2014, almost 35 years (gasps) later. Why would they not replace those boards? We'll come back to the house. (laughs) Oh my goodness. One of the only statements James ever made to the police was at the scene when they arrived. He said, My mother drove me crazy by always combing my hair and talking to me like I was a baby and tried to make me into a homosexual. After that, He was pretty much uncooperative and unresponsive to any questionings that would happen in any of the police investigations or court cases that would later happen. That's wild. And this idea of being a homosexual keeps coming back up again.
1: Maybe he was a homosexual and had a hard time dealing with that and didn't know how to process that, especially in that time. I think
0: that's probably the case. Based on his behavior that he presented to the police, they all believed it was clear that he was going to go for the insanity defense. James was arrested that night and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide on March 30th. Wow. James would be tried three different times for the murders of his family. On May 13th, 1975, the courts proclaimed that James was fit to stand trial. So he started right away on this insanity plea. James waived his right of trial by jury on June 6th, and his first trial was held in front of a panel of three judges in Hamilton 10 days later, and lasted only until July 3rd. The prosecution presented a case that James was not insane at the time of the killings and had intentionally planned the murders in order to solely inherit the $343,000 estate that he would gain from his brother and his mother's estates.
1: That makes sense. Even though I don't think that's his primary motive. I don't think it's about the money. That's just going to be a bonus for him. I think it's because of his hatred and it's revenge mm-hmm. for his family. And those poor babies were collateral damage.
0: I think you might be right. Right. The prosecution used the conversation with the woman at the bar the previous night about fixing his problems and the inquiry about silencers over a month prior to the shootings as evidence that James had planned these murders. Right.
1: Why did he come downstairs with all those guns? Was he really going out to do practice and it just he flew off the handle in that moment? Or was he planning? It's hard to say.
0: Who goes shooting with four preloaded guns? Usually if you're going out shooting, you load your guns when you get to that place. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: it would be dangerous to walk with four loaded guns. Yeah. And if he's an avid shooter, he would know better.
0: That's right. The prosecution claimed that pleading insanity was just how James planned to profit from his crimes. He believed that if he was found insane at the time of his crimes, he would be released in a couple of years to enjoy the wealth of the estate. So that's why they weren't buying his insanity plea at all. The defense argued that James had been insane for 10 years and that he was incapable of controlling his actions. Several expert witnesses testified saying things like James was suffering from a paranoid psychotic state, one symptom of which was the departure from reality in terms of thinking and behavior, that James was inclined to be excessively suspicious, jealous, and angry. And so because of all these things, he actually was insane at the time of the crimes. Defense psychiatrists called to the judge's attention James's behavior in the last 10 years that had become increasingly bizarre and paranoid. Harvard psychologist Dr. Lester Grinspoon testified that James's deadly reaction may have been uncontrollable. His ego was just completely overwhelmed by this rage, claiming that because of James's paranoid state, he departed from reality in his thinking and subsequent behavior. The suggestion was made that James was angry because of his past treatment at the hands of his family, which again is totally believable. Yeah, it is. So both of these sides of the stories are, are pretty good ones. They are. But which one actually has more merit? And I think, like you said before, I can explain away the silencers if he wanted to use them for hearing protection and even the comments made at the bar because he was facing a problem. He had to figure out where he was going to live because he was being evicted. And it wouldn't be out of the norm for a drunk to be blaming his problems on everyone else at the same time as being bravado and building themselves up to the person at the bar saying that I'm going to fix everything, right? For sure. But who takes four guns to go shoot at targets and preloads them before you leave the house. Yeah, that's
1: where it gets a little iffy.
0: Yeah, that's the suspicious part to me too.
1: It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a mental illness or some mental issues going on there with his paranoia, but it also sounds like it was definitely premeditated.
0: Mm -hmm. And two out of the three judges thought the same thing. By the majority vote, James was found guilty of all 11 murders on July 3rd, 1975. They sentenced him to 11 life sentences to be served consecutively. So he's never getting out of jail. (laughs) Nope. The death penalty was not an option at the time because death penalty sentences had been suspended because of a federal appeal being heard at that time. And they wouldn't be reinstated until the following year. Hmm. So otherwise, he would have received the death penalty right away. Right. There were lots of secondhand sources that say that He only received one life sentence during the first trial, but in his appeals documents, it says 11 life sentences.
1: Which seems more believable to me.
0: Yeah. That ruling, however, would quickly be overturned because of a technicality in an appeal hearing on July 22nd. What? Mm -hmm. So not even a month later, he has an appeal and that whole ruling is overturned. During his first trial, he claimed, and the claim was upheld, that he had been told that the ruling had to be unanimous by all three judges. When the verdict came back as a majority only, he fought the conviction because he was misinformed about the trial proceedings and might have changed his mind about his waiving his rights to a trial by jury. Oh. So he had to be tried a second time.
1: Well, that makes sense then.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. you can be tried again. The first one is thrown out. James was tried for a second time in July 1975. The trial was held in Finley, 125 miles north of Hamilton, because they thought that there was now just too much media hype. They actually called it a circus in the courthouse.
1: Oh, I can believe it. Mm -hmm. 11 murders.
0: It was believed that there was no way that an impartial trial could be held in Hamilton because of all the rumors that were being spread.
1: Yeah, probably not. A lot of the community was likely very upset with his case being thrown out.
0: Well, it seems like from newspapers at the time that... Nobody believed that this was he was capable of these things oh. because he was such a quiet, unassuming man that how could he do this? And so huh. they were trying to come up with all of these like love triangle things between him and Elma. So there were just so many rumors circulating at the time that Alma wanted out of the marriage mm. and that she needed a way to get rid of her husband and children and like just all of these rumors.
1: I think when something like that happens so devastating in your community, you need reason to make sense of it right? We want Mm -hmm. this big motive. We want something to explain how somebody could have done that.
0: Right. And James's motives, they weren't really rational at all because those don't explain the murder of eight children. And the funeral sounded like it was horrific. They had the funeral for all 11 people on the same day and they lined the caskets up end to end. Oh, Could you imagine? No, what a horrific sight. No,
1: And that's where I'm shocked. I thought the people would have been like charging with pitchforks like so angry and
0: upset well there was that side too yeah absolutely but then there was this other side of well we didn't expect that of him like what he committed this and so they wanted an explanation and that's what fed the rumor mill
1: and it's something so heinous that we do feel sometimes like that has to be a monster Mm -hmm. it has to be something bigger it can't just be james from down the street Yeah. yeah i could see that
0: the second time his trial would be held in front of a jury on the first day of the trial The jury members were taken to the house to view the crime scene. The house had been closed up since the initial investigation and had never been cleaned. (gasps) No. Yes. Gross. There was still sloppy joe mixture (gasps) on the stove. That's terrible. So from the end of March, March 30th, to the end of July.
1: And through the hot summer months. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. Why was that left like that?
0: There was nobody left to actually clean clean up the house.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, not really. I take that back. It doesn't make sense. That is crazy. I wonder, too, if it was all left like that.
0: Had people gone through to look? That's what happened during the trial. One of the reporters that accompanied the tour entourage would say, quote, The house had been closed up since the initial investigation, and it was stifling inside with the smell of dried blood. There were many bullet holes visible in the walls and floors. And there was a coin laying on the linoleum floor, a quarter splattered with dry blood. Oh. And that's the scene that these jurors walked into. Yeah, I
1: can't even imagine what that would have looked like. Mm-hmm. And just so eerie. Yeah. Just walking through an abandoned house is eerie, let alone something with that type of a scene in it. And the
0: smells and no. the... It would be hard to not convict somebody yeah. after that. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Again, James tried the insanity plea, and again, he failed. He was assigned the same sentence, again, 11 life sentences to be served consecutively. But this wasn't the end of the courtroom dramatics oh. for James and his lawyer. During the second trial, they believed that the jurors had been tainted and that they hadn't presented adequate enough psychiatric assessments to prove his insanity. James's lawyer was so convinced of James's insanity at the time of the murder. He put up his own money for the cost of experts to testify to James's psychiatric state. Wow, that's uncommon. Mm -hmm. He totally believed that at the time of the murders, James was having a psychotic break. There have been many theses written on the profile of mass murderers, and James fits the description to a T. Psychiatrists were able to argue that because of the long history of frustration and failure, James had developed a condition of profound and unrelenting depression, that along with his diminished capacity to cope, led to a psychotic break characterized by the irrational thought process that had led him to kill his entire family. James's lawyers believed that these were the reasons why James had committed the crimes, and it was not the greed for the inheritance. This is what they presented to the courts during the final trial for James. Wow. The third and final trial was settled on July 23, 1982. Apparently, third time's a charm, because with a new three-judge panel, James was found guilty on only two of the murders. What? Two of the
1: murders?
0: Yep. That makes zero sense at all. That's what I thought, too.
1: Two murders. That is crazy. So tell us how that happened.
0: The judges felt that James had been sane in the planning and execution of the murders of his brother and his mom. So he had motive to murder them. But James's attorney had paid the right experts, and the judges did believe that the shooting of Alma and his eight nieces and nephews had taken place during a psychotic break after shooting his brother and his mom. Oh, so
1: shooting them caused him to go into this psychosis or
0: whatever. It was ruled that James was not guilty by reason of insanity on all of the deaths of the children and of Alma. Oh. That's awful, isn't it? That is
1: awful. That's a slap in the face, especially when the first two already gave him 11 life sentences and that's what he should be getting
0: Mm -hmm. I found it interesting because by James's own confession he killed his brother and then Alma first yeah and then shot his mom as she came towards him trying to protect others yeah that makes no sense so how could he be responsible for his mother's and his brother's death but not Alma's as well since hers was in between the other two
1: Right. If he was in a psychotic break when he killed Alma, then he had to have been when he killed
0: his mom. That's right. So the whole ruling doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's he baloney. wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going in and out of psychotic states.
1: No, not within five
0: minutes. No. He was incarcerated at Allen Correctional Facility near Lima, Ohio. Since his incarceration, he has had two attempts at parole, the first in 1995 at the age of 61 and the second 20 years later in April of 2015. The Parole Board, during the 2015 hearing, made this statement. The Board has determined that the inmate is not suitable for release at this time. The inmate has not completed any recommended programming and does not appear to be willing to do so. The inmate's record notes negative institutional conduct, and the inmate took the lives of multiple victims. There has been strong community objections to his release, and the release of this inmate would not be in the best interest of justice. 100%
1: agree. Yeah. He wasn't even
0: responsible for well over half of his murders. Yeah. James Rupert is now incarcerated at the Franklin Medical Institution in Ohio. He has just passed his 88th birthday. His next parole hearing is scheduled for when he is 90 in February 2025. One neighbor of the family, Jim Irwin, attends each of the parole hearings. Jim's children were friends of the children that were killed. And he wants to make sure that no one loses sight of the crimes that were committed that Easter morning after the 2015 parole hearing. He said, the thing that makes it so horrendous when I think of the age of those children, he killed about 600 years of human life. Oh. And I thought, what a way to put that in perspective. That does. Yeah, he robbed them all of their futures. They had whole lives ahead of them. Yeah. The house where the murders occurred still makes news today. One year after the murders, its contents were auctioned off. People came from considerable distances to be able to purchase something from the notorious murder house. At the time when he committed these murders, it was the deadliest mass shooting in all of the U.S. Wow. And it does still hold that ranking for a private residence.
1: Yeah, it is terrible. I believe it. And it's so crazy to me when people want a piece of that. I wouldn't want that in my
0: home. No, it's got some bad juju on it. Yeah. Right? Once emptied, it was cleaned and resold to an unsuspecting family. What? Its past history was never revealed to its new owners by the real estate agents. (gasps) Isn't that against the law? It's not. Real estate law doesn't stipulate that a real estate agent has to disclose the history of a house if it doesn't affect the structure or the functionality. Buyer beware. Yeah, no kidding. Murder committed in the house isn't a defect. The agent can't hide the truth if you ask about it, but they don't have to volunteer that information.
1: That is super shady, though.
0: Hopefully you trust your real estate agent to tell you the truth.
1: Yeah. 11 people murdered. It's the floorboards you said were still stained.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. The first family that moved into the house didn't stay long. Shortly after moving there, they started to hear voices (gasps) and strange noises. Lights would turn on and off without anybody controlling them. Doors would slam unexpectedly. And thumping footsteps were heard on the stairs multiple times. None of these strange events could ever be explained. And it was all chalked up to supernatural happenings in the house. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> the family quickly packed up.
1: Yeah, you run for the hills. <laughs> and you know it's probably genuine too because it's not that they knew this was a murder house, moved in, and then started to hear all this stuff and see all these things, right? No. Yeah. They
0: had no idea what had taken place. They didn't learn about it until they tried to sell it. Since then, several families have moved in and quickly moved out again. Really? Most believing that the murder victims that died that Easter morning have been truly resurrected. (laughs) All but two families have reported that they had heard sounds and voices throughout the house. The only two families not to report any supernatural happenings are the most recent families to live in the house. Really, After sitting abandoned for a very long time, Because of the believed haunting of the house, it was purchased by Dennis Snyder, who would eventually sell it to Cinnamon Baker. Isn't that an awesome name? Cinnamon Baker?
1: That is amazing, actually.
0: I (laughs) wish that was my name. (laughs) You could totally fit a Cinnamon Baker.
1: I could. I could pull that off.
0: Dennis didn't hold any regard for ghost stories, saying that it's just like driving down a street. Would you avoid an intersection where somebody got run over? It's just a building that something happened in. To me, it doesn't matter. I don't believe in all the occult and all that hogwash.
1: And then he didn't see anything either. He didn't. that's interesting. Yeah. Or you said it sat vacant for so long, maybe the ghosties got bored and they moved (laughs) on. (laughs) Christy's not letting up. No. The ghosts are real.
0: I want to believe it's haunted. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying he doesn't believe it, so he doesn't see.
1: But that first family didn't know. No, the first family didn't know. So they didn't believe it was haunted when they moved
0: in. So the person that bought it from Dennis, Cinnamon, holds similar beliefs and isn't bothered in the least by the house's history. Both of the last homeowners do say, though, what does bother them is others coming by to view the house because they still think it's haunted.
1: Yeah, it would become a little iconic, even people wanting to drive by and just see the house. We just have this fascination with murder as human beings, don't we? And some of us need to talk about it so bad we create a podcast.
0: (laughs) But could you do it? Could you live in a house where a murder had taken place if the price was right?
1: Well, (laughs) would you?
0: I'm gonna say if the price was right yeah I'd be that person be like yeah I don't believe it so I'm not gonna see it
1: (laughs) I'm thinking of The Conjuring right now that movie (laughs) this many years later yeah I don't know I would look for alternative housing let's put it that way if I had to then okay (laughs) then you would do it yeah but think about it if you buy this haunted house and then you have to literally pack up and run for the hills you're out so much more money and it's not really a good deal anyways
0: True. And it would be totally different if there weren't still blood stains on the floor.
1: How come no one has changed those floorboards?
0: Well, from the pictures, it looks like it's actually the underside of the floorboards that you can see from the basement ceiling. Mm -hmm. So crazy, right? Yeah. But that is the heartbreaking mass murder of an entire family on Easter Sunday committed by the dirtbag James Rupert. What a dirtbag! And I think if I ever go to buy a house in the future, I will be asking the real estate agent point blank. Was there a murder committed in this house?
1: Yeah, that is so wild. I wonder if that varies, though, from state to state and country to country.
0: I looked it up in different states and in Canada, and it looks like that's the general rule for every real estate agent.
1: Oh, if you're a real estate agent and you're listening, don't be a sneaky McGee. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us someone was murdered in the house.
0: They only have to disclose If it affects the functioning of the house, Hmm. not the resale. (laughs) So those
1: blood soaked boards doesn't affect the strength of the boards. No. Yikes.
0: I had not heard that one. Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah. It was so infamous at the time and it still holds some records in the States for being the largest mass murder committed in a private residence.
1: Yeah. And to have three trials. Mm -hmm. And he's still alive today. He is still alive. Well, what a terrible Easter that poor family had.
0: That's not what you're expecting when you show up to hunt for Easter eggs. Yeah. So
1: sad. poor children. Yeah. That's a devastating case.
0: And it just happened that quickly. And then it was over. There was no lead into it. There was no anything.
1: Yeah. Five minutes. That's a lot to do in five minutes.
0: Well, he had been practicing and had all this skill as a marksman. But it sounds like your case that you're bringing us next week has some similar traits to it.
1: It starts off very similar. We take a very different turn. OK. Yeah. This is not a family annihilation, but it does start off with the mom not wanting a boy and comparisons between him and his older brother. So there are definitely some things. And I was thinking, oh, as you were telling it, I was like, I hope this isn't like the exact same case. <laughs> but it isn't. Don't worry, listeners. We will have something fresh for you next week. It takes a totally different turn. And it's something that we haven't really covered
0: yet on Buried Motives. Oh, I'm interested. So check us out next week.
1: And don't forget to participate in our contest. But until then, we hope you have a wonderful week. See ya. Bye.
0: (laughs) Hello, listeners. Yeah, let's keep it above the date. (laughs)
1: Keep it above the table? What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Work with me, girl. Work with me. See, you hit your mic. Dang it. Dang it, Grandpa. Thanks for that observation. (laughs) Absolutely. And it
0: even glows in the dark. little bonus. Well, neighbors would describe him as an... Oh, my goodness. As As a a what? Alone? Alone? (laughs) Can you until Jam... Jams, jamberry, jammy jams, Jam
1: You can do a lot with six more inches.
0: That's right. (laughs) Then he fired a second, a second, a second, a second. Just give me a second. Hang on a second. (laughs) Hiccup, go away. Okay, hiccup, you gotta give up, buddy. Okay, come here. Come on. Okay, stop. Be quiet. (laughs) Be quiet, hiccup. (laughs) I let you in. Okay, come on. Get your he's not even usually like that. Come on.
1: Vocal. Be quiet, please.
0: You're gonna turn into a cat lady. (laughs) He's bumping your mic. Okay, don't bump the mic. Sit down. Oh, you can hear him (laughs) purring now. Oh, (laughs) dang it! This isn't gonna work. Hiccup, I'm sorry, buddy. Okay, we have a little love fest. Right? He doesn't even come to me. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, now we've loved. Now you have to go back out. See ya. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say don't bite you? Jacob had a traumatic childhood, and so now he is unpredictable in his reactions.
1: La 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 la. The who did the what?
0: His eagle was just. His eagle. <laughs> oh my goodness. You got a big eagle there, Melissa. You know those guys with big eagles? Yep. They're not good. Nope.
1: That's bananas.
0: <laughs> now I have to debate whether to leave that in or not. <laughs>